0: You can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The feed hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun. From car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders, Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics what's up everybody welcome back to the nine finger chronicles podcast uh what are we going to talk about today what are we going to talk about today we got an awesome podcast we're going to talk with dan infault and uh, i talk with dan infault uh about basically growing up and what I mean by that is evolving as a hunter, right? We're going to talk about some of the decisions that Dan made when he was younger and then compare those to how he approaches the timber today. And uh, spoiler alert, it's not too, too different. Uh, he's still pretty aggressive, but uh, the amount of time he spends in the timber is different. Uh, and he still gets the job done in, in the same way. So it's an interesting conversation. We talk about a lot of strategy. We talk about time, we talk about placement, we talk about all the things that us mobile hunters talk about, us uh, crazy bow hunters talk about. And uh, it's just a really good conversation that I think you're gonna enjoy. And I think we can all learn something from this as well as we start to talk about ourselves. We look at ourselves. What did I do right when I was younger? What did I do wrong when I was younger? What am I doing right now? What am I doing wrong now? And then try to find the best and the worst from each, I guess, zone that uh, you were in or each stage in your hunting career that you're in. Pick those good parts out and continue to go with as many of the good the good things, the good strategies that you can do, and just it snowballs, it adds up, and then uh, I just have a feeling that everybody would be more successful, but uh, Dan explains those, uh, all all that stuff in his own way, and it's, a, it's kind of a BS conversation, it's kind of a hunting strategy conversation, but it's a good conversation nonetheless, so we're going to kind of keep this intro short. I do have to whore out for a second and do some commercials real quick, but uh, today, I'm wearing my glasses, Let's. I'm getting old, I gotta put my glasses on to read this. Alright, so today we're talking about ozonics, right? Um, <laughs> dude, ozone is the shit, and I absolutely love using it in the field, whether it's in the tree, catching scent coming downwind, basically protecting my back, and just... It's one of those things where I really think if you haven't used ozone and every single hunt is important to you, then I really think you should give ozone a try, uh, especially Ozonics. And uh, the reason I say that is because it optimizes your hunts, right? Um, There are times where you may have a weekend and guess what? Right out of the gate, a doe busts you and she blows. And yes, you can learn from that mistake, but at the same time, Ozonics could potentially prevent that from happening. So this is what I want to say. Go to ozonicshunting.com and just read through all the benefits of ozone. Read through all of the benefits of the uh, of their units, how they work both in the field and one of my personal favorites outside of the field in the garage in the dry wash bag cleaning your clothes uh, making you scent free on those access routes and um, it's just a win-win so ozonixhunting.com and if you decide to purchase a unit enter the discount code not uh you see it is nfc21 nfc21 and you're going to save Uh, what are you going to get you're going to get a free dry wash bag with a purchase of one of their units so uh, take that into consideration and nfc21 free dry wash bag next product on the list that we're going to talk about is lone wolf dude i i'm pretty excited i just got some new sticks in some new stands in from lone wolf and i cannot wait to get those Those, um, a couple of them are going to be my mobile sets, but I have a couple sets that are going to be going up in some dude, some money places like places that I've kind of avoided throughout the year because uh, throughout the years, because my access, the access to get to them is, is in a way limiting, but I think I found a way to do it and really reduce my impact on my access routes. So I'm, uh, this, I'm gonna get a couple of those hung in the upcoming, I guess if you wanna say the upcoming weeks, I'm gonna do some pre hangs and then I'm gonna get some hockey tape and I'm gonna wrap up some of the other ones that are in my mobile set quiet them down just a little bit. They're already a very quiet tree stand, but uh, you know, just to kind of prevent any metal on metal contact. And I'm going to be good to go. Uh, and so I'm excited for that. And uh, Lone Wolf Hunting Gear, I think it's, let me double check here, lone, lone Wolf Hunting Products.com. So Lone Wolf Hunting I'm a huge fan of the four stick assault setup. And uh, dude, I can get in any tree. And again, the benefits of a Lone Wolf platform are simple you can make the tree stand level in just about any tree and that is a huge that's huge not a lot of tree stands you're able to do that and it prevents you from sitting crooked or leaning back or leaning forward or uh, you know getting cantered off to the side or having your feet go up or down uh, so being able to level is absolutely huge from a comfort level it allows you to stand in the stand all day and uh the more time you're in the woods man the more time you can kill a deer so uh, lonewolfhuntingproducts.com and if you do decide to make a purchase enter the discount code what is it here I forget Uh, 9FC21 9FC21 and you're going to be able to save $50 off of all purchases over a hundred let's see so I'm going to click on hang on stands here one second and the assaults Let's see here. The Assault Tree Stand online is $269. You enter my discount code 9FC21 and you're going to take $50 off of that. So it's uh, $219 instead. So that's a big one for $220. Yeah, uh, $220. So you're saving 50. You know, you're know, you saving uh, about somewhere around 18%. And that's uh, pretty good, right? If you ask me, you're not paying retail, right? Uh, So what is it? 9FC21. There you go. All right. Lastly, Exodus Trail Cameras, man. Uh, (laughs) Dude, I cannot wait to start to check my trail cameras this summer. Look for returning customers. Look for hit listers. Start gathering that intel. Deploy the net, as I call it, and really start... Um, breaking down the properties seeing what crop rotation is doing to some of these uh, deer this year and find these patterns get them locked into the tree collect that data use that data to make moves set up and uh, when this hunting season comes man hopefully have a uh, uh, a really good stand location in place that will put me within bow range of a big mature buck i mean that's all that's what we all want so uh here's what i'm gonna say on this my favorite thing about exodus is that when you turn on the cameras they work and that should be that should be a commercial in itself they work you turn them on they work there i've had trail cameras in the past where you got to fiddle with them you got to do this and then this and you call them up and they don't know what to do they troubleshoot with you but they're just like ah, well uh you know it's just not working tough shit Dude, that's unacceptable and exodus not only is their customer service great but their their trail cameras are great you turn them on and they work you pick your settings you turn them on they work they have their uh render that's a cell cam that's uh, somewhat new it's like a couple years old they have their solar panel mounting system for their trail cameras now you plug it in and basically you just disappear you don't need to check it anymore uh, because the solar panel once it hits suns it takes care of the batteries uh, or the the camera the batteries last longer and longer and longer and uh, that's less impact on your hunting spots and it's a win Right, So all of these awesome uh, products, go to exodusoutdoorgear.com. Check up, out their lineup. Uh, right now, let me pull up their cameras here. They have the Exodus Lift 2. They have the Exodus Trek, that's a, a lower price point. Uh, they have the render, and then they have the bundle, which is the render and uh, the solar panel unit. So please check it out. Great company, great people, exodusoutdoorgear.com. And uh, that's going to do it for me pushing products on you guys. I really appreciate you guys taking time to listen to that. It means a lot to me. And today, let's get into today's episode with uh, the man, the beast, Dan Infall three two one all right on the phone with me today Mr. Dan Infault. how we doing man
1: pretty good how you doing
0: I'm doing good man Uh, I tell you what it's that time of year where I'm driving down the roads and I see a couple velvet half-grown bucks in the field so I'm starting to get that you know I'm starting to get a little bit closer like the the train is officially on the tracks now and it's starting to uh, it's starting to pick up speed if that makes sense
1: yeah, I hear that.
0: Yeah. So, um, I kind of just wanna wanna shoot from the hip um on this episode and ask you a, bu- a whole bunch of random questions, but before we do that, how's uh how's Beast Gear doing, man?
1: Oh, we're just rocking. Uh, we just released the stands recently and they're selling like unbelievably. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I saw I saw a couple pictures of you and your crew in like it looks like a warehouse somewhere. Just a working
1: mm-hmm.
0: so that's a good thing, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's great. that's awesome. all right, so I think the topic today is in a, in a way is new versus old all right or or uh, the Dan infault today versus the Dan infault uh twenty years ago, or whatever, but like the first question I have for you is, how old were you? when or what year was it when you had this click when you had the aha moment or uh where where it just was like aha there it is and you you became what everybody knows today as the hunting beast
1: uh you know uh as quick as in when i when i started hunting the way i i am really started diving into it so what you mean
0: yeah yeah
1: um you know, that was a gradual process um, in my childhood. You know, you see, you see bucks coming out of bedding areas, and you, and you, with no mentors, you don't have anybody telling you to stay away from them. And you think, well, they're not making it to me. <laughs> you, know, so you move closer. Yeah. And, and you start putting the pieces together. But what really made it click was the mid-'80s when, um, where I was hunting, you know, there wasn't much for big bucks. They're pretty far and few between. Um, a big buck showed up in my area. Started, you know, first he was a two-year-old, but he was an exceptionally big two-year-old. And I hunted him for three years and got obsessed with it. And finally, ended up killing him by by making a decision to learn all his bedding areas in the off season, and then hunt him down from bedding area to bedding area. And that's when it really clicked. And from there, it's been a, a more of a slow progress. Yeah. Of just learning how bedding areas work.
0: Yeah. So it was. It was one specific deer that kind of put you on, like, put you on track to be and and, uh, do the style of hunting that you're doing right now. Right. Okay. All right, so mid-80s, how old were you in the mid-80s? I would have been 18 in 1985. Okay, 18 in 1985. Uh, we're sitting here at, so plus, what's that, 25 years? So um, we are, so you're 53 right now, right? I'm 54. Yeah. 54, okay, 54 years old. Um, the, the, the 18 to early 20s Dan Infault versus the 54-year-old Dan Infault, where are, are there any differences between those two guys, or are there any, or are there any similarities between those two guys?
1: Well, yeah, it's weird. I mean, um, uh, I guess if I look back, I see myself as a, um, cocky, arrogant, wild man, back in the, you know, yeah. Uh, especially going into the nineties when I started really getting my, you know, flame on killing stuff where now I'm a little more laid back and I, I think it doesn't matter if I kill one, you know, and I got that uh, confidence where I just go in and, you, you know, I can sit back a little more and take it easy. I was really aggressive back in those days. I was also uh, more quiet about uh, the tactics I used and
0: stuff. Yeah. so um when you say wild man, uh, talk to me a little bit about how you would dive into a property. I mean, were you just like being ultra aggressive at your at, at that younger uh, that younger age? versus today where you're a little bit more methodical and laid back in your approach?
1: Uh, You know, I'm still pretty aggressive. It's just a matter of uh, back then I had the energy. I mean, uh, nonstop, you know, um, spend days out there scouting until you get onto something, you know, just run from property to property to property. And and that's why I was killing so much big stuff back in those days, you know. Um, Now, you know, if I get out scouting a couple times a week and go look at stuff during season, um that's a lot yeah you know and uh it certainly makes a difference in your
0: you know you know what you're killing yeah so the the aggressive tactics i think one thing that people have you know people don't know when to be aggressive uh, from, from all the people that I've talked to on this podcast, they, they just don't know when to make that jump. They, they sit back either too long or they maybe go in too early or whatever. And it boogers up the deer. Um, what, what is your experience with, um, like the aggressive and how, how aggressive are you going to be on a particular deer or a particular property?
1: You know, um, I'm, I'm extremely aggressive on, uh, on deer when I find them. Uh, um, now I'm careful about where I go and it's methodical, but I go right in for the kill. Yeah. I, I go all or nothing right off the bat because I find that if you sit back and try to, you know, pick them off in uh, uh, shadows, like a lot of people do, cause they're afraid of blowing their property or whatever. If you sit back like that, you educate that deer and you never really get them and all of a sudden your season's over. Yeah. Um, but for me, I go in there and I either kill him or I don't. And then I move to where he moved. And if he moves where I can't hunt, I go hunt someplace else. Yeah. I think a lot of people lock themselves into one property or two properties, and uh, that's all they hunt. And then they try to be really, you know, hang back. And I do a little of that myself. I mean, I got a little 70 acre farm uh, where I'll put cameras out and I'll, and I'll sit from a distance from observation stands, but I'm still hunting aggressive in other places and I'm still moving all over the place. And then when a deer does show up, I'm on it.
0: Yeah. How, how have you, how have you been able to justify or pull that trigger on, let's say, cause I, I do the same thing, right? I have all this public that I can go out and stomp around on. And then I have a couple farms that I'm real laid back on. I, I'll, I'll watch trail cameras. Um, and then when the rut hits or like if, if I get a deer on camera, I'll make a move or I'll wait till the rut hits, and then I know what, where I need to go on those, on those properties just because of the years I've spent there. So how do you mm-hmm. know, like, how are you dictating where your, where your tree stand is going to be that night based off of what information you have?
1: Well, you know, it's either going to be based on my knowledge of the bedding in the area, or it's going to be a guess of the bedding in the area. Because for me, almost always, uh, a role, even during rut, to some degree, Betting always has a role in in uh, where deer move in daylight. Yeah, so that's that's what dictates me being there, or, or where I hunt. Um, but me being there is dictated by uh, sign or a sighting or something like that. I think a lot of people hunt spots and they hunt areas yeah. where I hunt deer. A lot of the properties I hunt are public and there's not big, Yeah, and I've learned that um, going into areas and maybe I'll throw a hunt in an area. But while I'm in there, I'm scouting, and if I don't see a heck of a lot of sign or much sign at all of a big buck, I'm not going back. I'm I'm moving around. So a lot of times my seasons will start if I'm not really onto something really big. I'll just scatter it all over southeastern Wisconsin, hitting property after property after property until I find a deer, and then I'll narrow in on it and I'll start hunting that area down, yeah. and then I'm gravitating towards those bedding areas.
0: Okay, so I'm going to throw a scenario at you. Uh, And I want you to maybe tell me what young Dan Infault would do versus what you would do today. And that would be, okay, you've identified a buck, you're going after him, and whether you bump him, somebody else bumps him, he's on another property, or he just straight up disappears. How does young Dan Infault handle that versus how how you handle that today?
1: Uh, I would have probably dwelled on that one buck a little more than I would now. I would probably really be trying to get that one buck and trying to figure him out, but it comes from uh, growing up in a time when there's less bucks uh, to go after. Yeah. Um, where now I think if I know the gigs up, I'll give him a couple of shots and I'll back off. I'll go hunt a different deer and maybe a few weeks later or a month later, I might saunter back in and see if the sign's still there or if he's around someplace, you know, unless I have a good idea of where he moved to, then I'll stay on him. Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, uh, I think I have I have this problem where if I if I feel like I've bumped a deer or I've hunted uh, an area too much and the gig's up and this buck and he maybe he, his pattern has changed and he's not showing up or he's he's moved onto a different property or whatever, Um, I have a I, I will leave but I don't really know when to come back. Like I, I always have this internal beta of: Is it too early to go back? Do I need to give it a couple more days? What's your thought process like on, on a situation like that?
1: I usually go in the spot, check for sign. I don't go where I'm going to hunt, but I go where the deer would be, you know, like at night, look for his uh, sign, his rubs and scrapes, his uh, tracks, um, or I glass the area or, I, you know, where it's legal. I'll spotlight. And, uh, I try to get eyes on him or, or know that he's there and, uh, then I'll move in for the hunt. But, you know, I'm always keeping my eyes open on, on multiple properties at
0: once. Yeah. So the, the young Dan in fault, is he, is he hunting more days than you today?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. He was, he was a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the biggest difference was is, is, um, when I go on a road trip uh, nowadays, yeah. I'm really focused, and, and I'm a killer. When I when I was young, I was on that road trip all the time. Without being on a road trip, yeah. Um, the the thing is, you, you know, as you get older and your you, your responsibilities change, and and what you you deem as important changes, and now my family time and and stuff and, and work time might be more important than it was for young Dan, and I'm always distracted when I'm hunting around home.
0: Yeah.
1: But when I'm, you know over the fence and off of the chain, you know, in some other state, the phone gets turned off and shoved in the glove box. I don't have to listen to everybody and I just hunt. Yeah. And then I'm getting up in the morning, scouting all day and ending up, okay, which spot that I scout was the best. I'm going back and I'm killing it. And that's what I was doing when I was a kid, but I was doing it every day.
0: Yeah. So do you feel that time in the woods? Like, can Determine your success, like if a guy's hunting every single day, he's going to have more success than uh, you know, the guy who is only limited, whether it's because of work or because of family or 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 just straight up age and responsibilities.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the trends I see is now I kill deer that I'm targeting and I'm you know, that I'm focused on, where a lot of the ones I killed when I was younger, um. Were by sheer determination and stubbornness, you know, and you you just walk into something, you know, hot because you just you just keep pushing, yeah. And uh, that's for sure. I mean, uh, um, you know, I'd have to say that now I feel like I'm skilled, a lot more skilled. But I felt like I was skilled back then too. Yeah. But now I look back and I say I wasn't as skilled as I thought I was. Maybe some of that had to do with how much time I spent in the woods, how much time I spent uh working after these deer and and for other people putting the uh put it as a priority to hunt as hard and uh do the things I did, they would have probably had the same success.
0: Yeah. Okay. So for me, I've had a lot of failures in the woods and every one of them, I try to, I try to take something away and apply it to the next season or the next deer that I go after. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my question to you is, do you have any specific examples of maybe a deer or a season that just kicked you in your balls and you, you maybe didn't find success, but you used what you learned from that year to get the job done the next time or on the next deer? Uh, It's a hard
1: question, but
0: there's, there's so many
1: times when you, um, when mistakes are made, I mean, mistakes happen most times. Let's so take it for granted, you know, yeah. um, take it for what it is. Um, we fail more than we succeed. All of us, if we're honest about it. So, um, my take backs are like, like I think of, a, you know, just out of the blue, a trip to uh, my first, very first trip to Iowa. Um, I went down there and, uh, it was the highs and the lows of, you know, I, I, set up this hunt with some guy I met online. I buy the license. I'm going down there. And then the guy tells me that he doesn't own the property. And he never told the guy that owns the property that I was coming. And that guy don't like what I'm doing. And doesn't like me. And doesn't want me on the property. Now he doesn't know what to do. And I get down there and I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? And he goes, well, I got this uncle. It turns out he doesn't even know his uncle, but he, he looks the guy up and gets me permission on this guy's farm. And I get over there and it's just all open grass. And I'm, I'm like, what am I going to do? And then he takes me to this, to this other farm he has when I was disappointed about the grass. And there's it, it looks pretty well laid out. And I'm like, from the truck, I'm like, there's a point where a nice buck could be bedded. And he said, nobody bull it. He just gun hunts it one day every year. So I'm like, if nobody's hunting us, there's going to be a buck right in that stuff right there. He's going to come out right there. And I go and I set up in this thing. He comes out exactly like I think. And it's a really nice buck. And I ended up shooting him in the shoulder. He was speed walking past me. I couldn't stop him. And I brushed a shot. And I'm just deflated. And, um, this, the kid that I went down there to hunt with was hunting with me. And he was asking about where he should go. And I sent him to that tree thinking nothing's ever going to go near that tree again after after that happened. (laughs) And that was the greedy younger guy, right? Right. Right. So, anywho, he comes back uh, to my hotel room after we meet from hunting and says he saw the biggest buck he ever saw in his life. And it was walking up to him and stopped at 40 yards and dropped down into a river bottom. And uh, he's describing this giant 12-pointer with 12-inch times. You, you know, you've heard people exaggerate deer, right? Yeah. So you're like, hmm, you know, and this guy doesn't know nothing about hunting. So he keeps saying, I, "I, could never, you know, I couldn't even pull the bull back. I was shaking so bad, and blah blah blah. You should go over there. You should go over there. You, got, you you're only down here for the week. So I, I go down there, and we, and he's going to show me where this buck was. And we walk along this river edge, and there's like an ox bone to the side of the river that's down the hole. And the tracks going up to this edge are the biggest deer tracks I've ever seen in my life. They look like somebody was jamming a coffee can into the ground. Jeez." And we walk up to the edge, looking at these tracks and I look over and all this commotion goes and all these bucks get up out of this, uh, oxbow and, and it's all open fields in that portion of Iowa. And one of them is a gigantic world-class 12 pointer. And he goes, there's the buck and it runs out into this field. And so it said, bedded down there after he saw it, it just dropped under and bedded. So, um, the next morning I set up on the other side of that oxbow, hoping he would come back and at gray light i can see this thing coming from like a half mile away coming across that field straight at me and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and I, the trail goes right up to my tree and then turns sideways at, at 20 yards it goes broadside in front of me and i'm like this is a slam dunk but i'm starting to breathe heavy i'm starting to shake and i mean this is a monster yeah probably a 200 inch typical buck yeah and uh he gets up to where he's going to turn and he doesn't turn. He just walks straight and goes right underneath me. And I realize he's going to lay down on the beds on the other side of me in the ox bowl. And I can't shoot behind me because of these vines. So I pull back the bowl and I get it on him. And he's coming right underneath me. And I shoot him right between the shoulder blades. And he drops in his tracks and starts kicking. And I'm, like, so excited. I put my bow on the string. I lower my bow. My bow hits the ground. The thing jumps to its feet and runs off. And I never found one drop of blood. I thought I spined him. That's why I jumped, you know, I was going to jump out of the tree and finish him off or whatever. Yeah. And I could have just put another arrow in from the tree. So it was killing me, you know? And, uh, I searched for that buck for two days, never found another sign of it. And then the last day I was hunting, I went back down to set in that same spot. And, uh, after I'd burnt out the whole property, walking through everything and a gray light, here comes another giant buck. You know, it wasn't that big, but it was like one sixties. Yeah walks right up to me, takes the same trail, but this one turns where it's supposed to, and I'm following it with the bull, and it's a 20-yard dunk shot, and I hit a limb like oh. five inches in front of the bow that I never saw. My arrow goes through space, and the deer never even blinked. It just kept walking, walked around and bedded behind me where I couldn't do anything about it. Jeez. <laughs> uh, and that that week of hunting was probably the most exciting week of hunting in my life but it just deflated me that I could that three opportunities at giant bucks, I couldn't kill one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, to go back to your question, I mean, I went back and I started really working on my equipment thinking about my setups and you know, the same things, you know, you beat yourself up real bad. I think, uh, some people talk about it like, Oh, I had such bad luck. I say, there's no such thing as luck. You didn't do things right. Yeah. You know, maybe I shouldn't have took that shot. Maybe I should have took a different shot. Maybe I should have looked a little closer to find that trail that went straight underneath me. Maybe I shouldn't have shot that first buck while he was walking. Maybe that second buck I should have tried to stop him and try, instead of trying to weave an arrow through the brush. You know, and you, you start thinking about those things. And those are the things that make you a better hunter. Yeah. That You know, if, if, you, if you learn from your mistakes, mistakes are a good thing because they help you advance.
0: Yeah. I want to ask you a question about what made that particular area so good for, uh, you know, because I'm sure there are does living in, in that little oxbow too or, or that, that area, yeah. or that farm. But what made that particular property so good from a maybe a, a, a terrain standpoint or a, a neighborhood standpoint?
1: You, you know, that's an interesting question because I thought that, you know, it was so obvious to me that there was such a great area. I had a friend, a good friend of mine um, contact me not long after that and say he wanted to go to Iowa hunting and uh, he was going to be in that area. He didn't know where to go. And I said, uh, I'll get you on this farm. I'll show you where to sit. Or I said, I'll get you in the area. Basically. I didn't say that farm, but I said that area and he had access to that farm and all that grassy stuff and, and some other stuff. And he went down there and hunted for a week, the same, time frame i did and never saw a deer he said he never saw a buck bigger than like a two-year-old and I, it just blew my mind and then when we sat down and talked about it he was hunting up from the river bottoms and just a big giant square woodlot. everything was along that river bottom yeah and that's the way i saw it i just looked at that and said that river bottom is going to be hot it connects everything it connects all the farms the farm that i was on was a narrow farm that connected all kinds of big wood lots and river bottoms that all came together and uh it being rut and all the does being around and everything else being open it was the only place they could really travel and it had real good bedding on it you know the oxbows and stuff along the river
0: yeah so i know like you you're you're known for hunting like the swamps right the this real wet wet mm-hmm. conditions but throughout your years have you seen any trends of where these deer like to like to be and I don't mean like a mature buck but maybe just like deer in general and I know that's kind of hard because man I've seen does bed in wide open timber right like Mm -hmm. so so have you seen any trends of where like deer just like to be
1: yeah you know you know the biggest trend for me is to look at a property and think about where does nobody go and and where wouldn't you go? And those are the spots that I want to check. And that's usually where I find the deer. Yeah. Um, they they just seem to know where people don't go. And I think that's for an obvious reason they smell where you go. Yeah. So, um, for, for me, I mean, it's usually ends up along the road or watching the access you go in on, but it's a place where nobody would really go. Yeah. And, um, if you go hunt where everybody else goes, and like what you see on, you know, the hunting channel when you turn TV on, you're hunting like everybody else. You're going know, to have success like everybody else. And they're, they just, everybody has the impression that deer live in the middle of the woods. They really aren't woods creatures. They're edge creatures. And they're off in the fence lines. They're off in the edges of the woods and stuff. And people walk right past them You go into the middle of stuff, you know?
0: Yeah. So this whole this whole thought process that some guys have of hey man you got to go deeper and further and go harder than the 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 other guy isn't necessarily true.
1: Right, it might have some validity, but it might not too. Yeah, I mean, um, most of the properties like um, in southeastern Wisconsin where I hunt, you go to the middle of them, and there's people setting up back there. Whether they got a canoe, whether they got a hike, or whatever they got to do, but there isn't along the, on the road. You know, the wet stuff right near the road that's thick, like, cattails and brush and stuff. Um, nobody's hunting 50, 75 yards from the, the, the road. And the deer learn that. And then not only that, but you look across the street from the public marshes, and generally it's a field full of crops where they can eat. So why wouldn't they get that close to the road?
0: Right. You
1: know? Yeah. Um, so I just see people don't use common sense. They, just, they think a deer is supposed to be a certain way, and that's how they... They
0: hunt for them. They go in the middle of the timber, and you know. yeah. So you know, there's this, there's a, there's a whole industry out there um, about tr- trying to figure out mature bucks, right? And trying to figure out where mm-hmm. they live, what they're doing, you know, how they think, how they act throughout the entire year. Um, are we giving these animals too much credit or not enough credit?
1: Well, you know, a little bullish. I don't think it's that they're smart. It's just that they got an incredible nose and they don't go where people go. You know, um, I wouldn't say that they're highly intelligent animals. Um, if they were, I mean, they'd use the wind a lot more in their travels instead of just liking their bedding and stuff, you know? Um, yeah, I think, I think we give them more credit than they deserve in a lot of cases, but in a lot of cases too, I mean, a lot of people just think, well, i just get the wind in my face and, And it doesn't, doesn't work like that. You have to understand how the animal works, you know?
0: Yeah. So everybody wants to take this next step, right? In, in being this Mm -hmm. whether it's a mobile hunter or going after age class or going after, you know, bigger antler size. And, and there is a little bit of a correlation there, but where do you think most people fail? when they set a goal they say, Okay, this year I'm going for a four year old or I'm going for mm-hmm. a, a, a quote unquote mature buck. Where do you think they fail along the way?
1: I think the biggest failure is they, they take the fun out of it and just, and just want to go from they want to go from uh somebody that's a beginner hunter into being a trophy hunter overnight. Yeah. And I think one of the things that makes me real successful is I killed a lot of deer when I was young. Yeah. You know, I grew into that position. I didn't just jump into it and it wasn't handed to me. You know, I almost feel sorry for these kids nowadays that uh, get a special hunt, you know, like a kid season or whatever. And then their dad take them out to some ranch and put them over a food plot, where it's, you know, it's not even hunting. And the kid doesn't get that that the thing that I had where you strive for a couple years really wanting to get a deer. You know what I mean? And just wanting to get that deer. When you get that deer, you want to, then you want to get a buck and then you want to get, you know, a bigger buck, you know, maybe an eight pointer. And then you want to get a big buck and then you get to a point where you want to get multiple big bucks. And then you get to a point where you want to be better than everybody else. And the young people nowadays go from, you know, they're, they're bored of, uh, their BMX bikes. So now they're going to be a hunter and they're going to be a trophy hunter and I mean, I know I have a friend who hunted for over 20 years with never shooting a buck because he had a goal of 160 or over. Yeah. And his first buck was 171 inches. (laughs) It it took him 20 years. Yeah. And I think to myself, you know, I'd probably rather have five 140s in that time frame from the excitement than that one Boone and Crockett, you know? Yeah. But that's me personally. I, I think other people have other goals, you
0: know. Yeah. You talked about that th- those stages, right? You go from, uh, in a, you know, hey, you got to shoot deer. Like shoot brown, it's down. You got to shoot it. You got to get comfortable mm-hmm. around deer. Uh, you know, okay, now you want a buck? Well, here, shoot this spike or shoot this, you know, this, uh, this 4 corner, or whatever. Okay, now you want to shoot a two-year-old? And then, and, you know, they, they start stair-stepping up from there. Um, where, yeah. What stage are you in currently? Uh, I I think I'm in a
1: satisfied stage. Like I'm okay with where I'm at, you know, where if I kill one, I kill one. If I don't, I don't. Yeah. But that's easy to say. I mean, uh, I, I, you know, when I start going after him, I get focused and all that. But I don't think there's this thing where I, I, you know, feel like I have to prove I'm a great hunter. I don't have this thing where I, you know, where it's super important for me socially to kill a deer. I think I had that when I was young, if I, if I want to be honest. Yeah. That, and I think most people do that are in that younger age bracket. Yeah. You know, They want to prove their, their – you, you know, you can't call yourself a trophy hunter if you never shot a trophy, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And, and they feel like they're a failure until they get something, and they just get so much pressure on themselves to go kill a deer. And I think I'm, I've gotten to a point where I'm satisfied with what I've done in my life, and I'm just trying to help others enjoy hunting more. you know, and help them get that
0: success. Yeah. I think that's where I'm at. Are there any personal goals still though? I mean, do you have any goals that you're like, Hey man, I really would love to accomplish this.
1: Uh, You know, I I don't know. I think um, maybe not goals, but uh, I always kind of think, you know, every time I had a um, catastrophic failure, it was on, uh, an absolute monster, and I don't think, a, you, you know, me personally, I don't think any of my bucks are really absolute monsters. I mean, I got a couple 170, I got a 180, but I've had opportunities at 200-plus-inch uh, yeah. bucks on many occasions and always failed and always felt like I should have that 200-inch buck.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That seems to be the number, that there's people, that that people – the big dogs, like the, the big, the people in, if you want to say the industry or the community, however you want to look at it, like Mm -hmm. they're doing crazy things to try to uh, accomplish a number. Is that, is that number important to you or is it something else in that, in that, uh, goal that is important to you?
1: Uh, you, you know, um, the number really isn't important to me because I probably wouldn't even get scored. I haven't scored a buck in years. Yeah. It's, it's, um, You know, just me personally, I always wanted to have this uh, giant monarch example of a a whitetail. You know, the mutant, that isn't just a really good buck, but it's, you know, um, maybe the biggest one in the state for the year or something, you know? Yeah. I always wanted to have that. Yeah. You know, I've had opportunities and I've failed at it, and I think that's what makes me drive for that. But, you know, honestly, every time I've ever hit a goal in my life, the next day there's another goal. Yeah. All of a sudden, that one don't matter anymore, right? And and I think a lot of people are like that. Maybe they don't even understand it. A lot of people will think, well, if I could just do this, if I could get three jig giant you know, if I could get three bucks one forty plus, I'd be satisfied. I'd you know I'd go help others and stuff. No, you won't. You get three one forty class bucks, and then you want you want three one fifties,
0: <laughs> you know,
1: and uh, that's just a fact. Yeah. And and if you don't have that in you, you're probably not a trophy hunter.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um... Was there ever a time in the last twenty-five, thirty years, where you lost the the fun aspect, and it became uh, not about fun anymore? But I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to use the word ego, but I want to use the word like it became something more than than that to kill a big buck. Hmm.
1: I think I kind of lost you there on what you're exactly trying to get. Yeah. On. So
0: did there, did there, ever, cause I, I told myself when I first started bow hunting and I was hanging around a lot of people who were, I, I guess in the industry and they were, oh, they were talking about one seventies and one eighties and you know, the number and, and all this shit. And I, I just, I'd never done anything like that before. And there was a time where I spent a couple years Passing deer that I had never ever shot. Like I was passing 150 class deer to try to get this 200 incher that was living on the farm. And I had passed all this deer, all these deer for several years. Then on November 5th, on my birthday, 2010, that deer showed up and I basically shit my pants right there and I hit him high. And I put it to, I. I didn't get comfortable shooting deer and I was passing all yep. these, all these bucks. So I, I, I kind of learned like, dude, you got to just shoot more deer and have fun because I was taking it way too serious for the longest time. Did you ever go through a stage like that?
1: And y- y- you know, um, not in the same way. Um, I had a lot of friends that got like that where they got so serious. I mean, when you go hunting, they're so serious. They'd be like angry all the time.
0: Yeah. And there
1: was a point in time where I just said, I am not hunting with anybody who's angry all the time about deer. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not getting stuck in a cabin with them, <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's gotta be fun for me. Yeah. You, you, you know, it's gotta be a, a, a fun challenge. Um, but the only time I had, uh, like, like a point where it, uh, hunt bothered me and I almost maybe stepped out of it was probably in the late nineties. uh You know, everybody started calling me a poacher and stuff. And, uh, you know, um, nobody could kill deer like that and crap like that. And uh, I just got so fed up with, you know, everybody. And you think, what are you doing this for? Because, you know, up until that point, it was like to show everybody how great I am as a hunter, right? Right. But the more you'd kill, the more they'd hate you. Yeah. And then there was a point in there where, you you know, um, I started guiding for a while and did that. And uh I was really good as a guide. But uh then I started wanting to hunt again and uh started realizing that um uh, really you gotta hunt for yourself and what, what you shoot matters to you and it was kinda like uh, a dawning on me that uh that you you know, I could I could kill the biggest buck in the world next year and uh I could I could show it online, nobody'd even remember it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. It's like well, it would only matter to me. So, you, you know, you're not really hunting to beat everybody else because if you make a contest out of, it, out of it, really, whether you're hunting, if you're hunting on public land and you're, you're competing against somebody on private, you're never going to beat them. If you're competing against uh, somebody who has a ranch, like the Drury's or something. How are you going to shoot bigger bucks? And and if you're competing with somebody on public who, say, has an unlimited bank account and no job, and you got a job and a family, and that, and say you are on an equal scale and you're like I was when I was young and you, um, put your, your family in second place. You don't show up for Halloween's. You don't show up for birthday parties and you just go out on McKillen spree where the other guy's a, a good family man. Who's the better person? Yeah. So, so really you start to dawn, it started to dawn on me that, uh, I was really hunting for me. So it doesn't matter what I do or what I accomplish not to mention I'm trying to prove something. And then you turn around and I got 40 deer on the wall. What, what am I trying to prove? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it stopped mattering if I killed a deer and, and, uh, and it got to the point where when that dawned, I mean, I really didn't care what people said anymore. Yeah. You know, if they have something bad to say about me, I just turn them off. You're, you're not in my circle no more.
0: Yeah. Did you, st- when you did that and you started turning people off, did you begin to have more fun? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I went through this five-year stage where I was after this one buck. It was like from two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Is that's the story of? He was probably about two hundred and ten inches, and um, I, I hit him high. Didn't recover him. The next year, I the the neighbor shot him, and. It was, you know, again, just a, a giant white tail at uh, eight or nine. I think he was a nine-year-old at 200 inches, just this, this monarch, right? And mm-hmm. and I, 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 I still think about that deer even though I didn't get him, right? Do you have a, a deer that you hunted and hunted and hunted and went hard on and uh, never got him and, and maybe still think about him today?
1: Oh yeah. There's many of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, just one in particular, there was a, um, there was a giant, uh, non-typical that used to live in a marsh near my home, uh, a public marsh. And, uh, uh, I would see him shining. Um, I would see him glassing in the summer. Um, well over 200 inches, uh, in his last years. And, uh, I just I could never get him. I, I had one opportunity to kill him, and uh, he, I I saw him uh, glassing in the early evening. and I knew where he was at. There's only one bed he could have came out of. So the next day I went. Uh, next evening I went and slipped up in between that bed and area and where I, I had glassed him, which was probably about 125, 130 yards from his bed. And he, he got up in there and came in just like he was supposed to. Um, but he got behind a tree. He walked straight in. And I had him at like seven yards. But he, he sent something. The wind was in my favor, but I think he got some sort of backdrop. He was acting buggy. You know what I mean? You, you've seen yeah. that. They, just, they, you know they think something's up. You know? And he, he uh, turned around and walked away, and I could not lean enough or anything else to get a shot. He just walked straight away. And uh, I never seen him again. Um, and a neighbor on the other end of the marsh shot him Ugh. during gun season. Man. Um, which, was, which was great. I mean, I'm glad he got him. Yeah. Um, Another neighbor down the street um, that was between me and that guy uh, came over with him in the buck after they got it. And that guy, um, back in those days, you could feed he, had, he would keep a huge pile of corn in his yard all winter and pick up all the sheds in his on his property. And he had every shed from that deer. And and he lived right next to me. I never knew that. Man. That <laughs> deer was nine and a half years old.
0: What what did you learn from that it, it particular? Buck? Ooh, dang.
1: Uh you, you know, that buck, I learned that a buck can disappear in a marsh and <laughs> never be seen. Yeah. You know, um, Just about every buck I've ever hunted in that marsh, I have interactions with them here and there. You know, I know where they're bedding. I know where they're at. That buck, I could never seem to put my finger on. And I knew every inch of the marsh. It's like, where is he? The only bet I ever figured out was because that one day where I saw him, I knew there's only one place that would hold any self-respecting buck in that whole area. Yeah. I knew he had to have come from there. But otherwise, I had no idea where he was living.
0: If you could, if you could hop in the Delorean, right, and go back in time, what would you change about that particular evening? Would you hunt in a different tree? Would you have gone in <laughs> deeper? Like, what would you have done different?
1: Yeah, I, I probably could have been like just one tree over, and that buck would be dead.
0: Yeah. Yep. And,
1: you know, and, and hunts like that are a big reason why I go in. I'm really sitting there worrying about exactly what tree I'm going to be in, what height, and everything else. Yeah, it's because you learn from your mistakes.
0: Yeah, that's where I always second guess myself. You know, like uh, you get you walk into the timber and you're like, man, do I go further? Okay, I'm going to take I'm going I'm going to take ten more steps. All right, there's the tree, mm-hmm. and then I climb up. I get set up, and I'm like, "Oh, look at that tree over there!" Like, and then the whole <laughs> night, I'm just the whole night, I'm just, you dumbass, you picked the wrong tree. And whether a deer shows up or not, I, 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 I can't help but that for some reason, I'm always second guessing or or questioning my decision making.
1: I you I used to get that a lot about maybe fifteen years ago or so. Yeah, and and now I go in and I really take my time and. I think I'm pretty confident about the trees I pick now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Dan, man, I really uh, appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast and BS with us for a little bit. Um, So thank you very much for, uh, you know, uh, for coming on. And and I hope you locate something uh, worth shooting this summer.
1: Thanks. I'm, I'm working on it.
0: And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Dan for taking time out of his day to uh, hop on. And I know the dude's very busy. Hop on and uh, BS with me for a little bit. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for taking time out of your day to do all this uh, listening. And uh, please spread the word about the Nine Finger Chronicles, man. I, I get so much positive feedback from these guys and gals. Who They reach out to me and they go, Dan, your content is awesome. It's not the same people all the time. It's average Joes who are getting it done, uh, and and maybe this is a bad time to do it because Dan Infault isn't really an average Joe, but in a way, he's an average Joe right? He, he, he gets it done, uh, through hard work, just like a lot of the people on this podcast. And and I'm not saying there's certain people out there that, uh, don't have, you know, don't do hard work, but there's, there comes a time when a lot of people think, think that if they have a huge following, it gives them the right to do or, uh, say things that they may not have the experience in doing or saying if that makes sense Uh, maybe i'm going crazy but um you know and so they're therefore they're an expert when really they're not experts however an average joe who doesn't have any type of social following but has success on a yearly Basis and he's been hunting for 25 years and nobody knows him, but his wall speaks for himself or his freezer speaks for, for itself. This is, uh, those are the kind of people that I want to hear from. So uh, please spread the word about uh, Nine Finger Chronicles and, and all, the, uh, ep- all the podcasts on the Sportsman's Nation. Uh, it would mean a lot to me. Go to iTunes, leave a review. And lastly, follow me on Instagram and Facebook, Nine Finger Chronicles. And lastly, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast wasp ozonix vortex lone wolf hunt stand and exodus trail cameras Uh, great companies great people go check them out and that's it good vibes in good vibes out wear your safety harness and we'll talk to you next time